Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. How common are slips in time and space? Is there really such a thing as coincidence? Who or what was the frogman of Loveland? Hello and welcome to the 629th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those diverse questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Like the Frogman, do you? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I just I I we're gonna jumped get to out of nowhere. Thing. I'm sorry. Sorry to step on you. We should jump to that first. But uh, this afternoon, we bring you an open line show with questions from listeners on many different paranormal subjects, as you heard. As always, we welcome your calls. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240. That is locally. Also, we will monitor emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Okay. Well, let's get right to it. Now, uh, Ben forgot to bring the... the Facebook one. Don't, believe, don't put this on I know, me. I know, it's my fault. Anyway, <laughs> we have plenty of other material, however. Uh, this is one from a previous um, show we didn't get to. Oh, no, it's not either. Anyway, this is from Patricia in Holly, Michigan. Ah, Pat- Patricia writes to us. No do you? I don't know. But, uh, Mutual friends with the uh, frogman of Loveland. Perhaps. <laughs> I'm listening to your talk about the uh, most haunted house in America, and I totally believe in your theories. But I also have to wonder about the energies of the Native Americans and the sadness and the energy from the little girl having been ripped from her family and then put into the school slash taken out, etc. Uh, there is a lot going on with that, too. Okay, it sounds like Patricia has read William J. Hall's book, The World's Most Haunted House. That's about, <clears throat> the background of this, this uh, letter is that the 1974 poltergeist case in Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, where I was involved with, uh, as a 21-year-old wet-behind-the-years seminary student with Ed Lorraine Warren, and all sorts of things happened. We've talked about it many times on the show. Uh, dramatic poltergeist activity in the presence of not only myself, but uh, the police and fire departments of the city of Bridgeport, Connecticut, and a number of other people, the media, and this sort of thing, uh, generally considered by many people to be the best-attested poltergeist case, probably in at least modern history anyway. So this is a theme that often comes up, not only in this case, but in others, the Native American theme. Uh, very often, psychics and mediums will go into cases, and they will say, aha, you know, this was an ancient Indian burial ground, or this was this had some kind of connection here or there. And, you know, I suppose, why not? Uh, you know, I almost get the impression, Ben, that, that, that people... Um, have, of course, they have developed great respect, and rightly so, for the Native Americans. Uh, there, are, there really is not an old family in New England or Quebec here, including ours, that, that does not have some ancestral connection to the Native Americans even right, in yeah. the 1600s. So there's a lot of respect there, um, particularly with what they put up with from our European ancestors. Okay. Yes. Uh, however, whether they're behind every uh, paranormal incident uh, or most of them is another question. Uh, the Native Americans uh, are not any more well. They they were more perhaps more spiritual, closer to the earth. Uh, so perhaps their presence is more uh, evident in some of these cases. I myself have walked into several. There, there will be um, another well, another book coming soon by me uh, that has a, a case from around here where I was running into some <coughs> apparent Native American presences. 
And as we believe, these are not ghosts or spirits, they're the actual people, and we are dealing with areas where there is a, an intersect between parallel worlds, uh, as uh, some physicists would speculate, and, and uh, this is how we experience the paranormal. So, uh, but in the case of the uh, Bridgeport child, this Marcy, uh, she was of uh, a Iroquois descent, and she actually she was a member, a member of the Iroquois tribe, had been adopted by uh, Laura and Gerald, Gerard Gooden in Bridgeport, and uh, there was some uh, speculation, of course, getting back now to the letter here from Patricia, that there may, be, may have been some uh, paranormal effect caused by her being taken from her people. Uh, However, Bill Hall has done extensive research on what happened to Marcy, and apparently her family life at the time she was adopted was pretty much non-existent. Uh, there were some brothers and sisters, half-brothers and sisters, and it was rather confused. So so I don't know if that really had much to do. There, was, there has been a lot of speculation all along that that case involved uh, Native American influences of some kind. Let me, let me put it to you like this. <clears throat> Remember when uh, we used, used to go to the Providence Zen Center? Yes. First thing, first thing they said to me when I walked in is, all right, we're not magic. Right. Everyone perceives these mystical things as magic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I mean, certainly Native Americans are, are more spiritual. People who practice certain spiritual disciplines are more spiritual, but that doesn't necessarily make them, like, what's the word? Um, more than human, you know what I mean? Right, right. Well, sure. Well, I could have talked for an hour and not put it as well as you did in a few words. It's, it says a lot. Get the, get, get yes. It says a lot. Yes. All right. Well, uh, uh, one of the things too that I noticed is that, is that there was a lot of negativity. Matter of fact, pretty was all pretty well was all negative in this Bridgeport case, and I, I I have trouble connecting that with any sort of Native American influences, which I have always found, especially the the shamans, always found very not only very positive, but also very aware of the negative aspects of the paranormal and very good at staying away from those. So. So I've always had trouble connecting the Native American thing to that particular case in that sense. Yeah. Know? So that's about really all I can say about it. It occurred 40, well, my gosh, almost 42 years ago. Well, no, 41 and a half years ago now. You're almost there, though. I'm almost there, almost there. Okay. All right, so thank you, Patricia, for the note. So we do we do have a couple of these old Facebook messages I don't think we think we got to. I've been, I've been, I was looking through them. I'm pretty sure that uh, we, we haven't got to these yet. So there, there's there's three of them. Okay. So we can start off with uh, Pete from uh, Australia. So Pete writes to us, With all due respect, what qualifies you to hunt ghosts uh, while you tell other people not to? But I do love your show. Well, that's a backhanded compliment. I mean, but, no, no, I mean, we, we welcome criticism. That's how you learn, you know. And you can do something for as long as we have. What do we have, a combined experience in this of, what, 54 years or something between the two of us? But that doesn't mean you're doing it right for all that time. Yeah. It probably, probably gets more wrong as you, as you proceed on the wrong path for so long. So hopefully that's not the case with us. But no, very, very good question, Pete. Um, I don't know, personally, and I'll let Ben speak for himself for once. Um, personally, I um, sort of started out in this very early when I was studying for the priesthood. And my resume is available out there. The, the mentors I had covered science theology and the pop ghost hunting stuff that was Thread and Lorraine Warren. So I like to think maybe I had some background to start this. Had I known then what I know now, I might not have started it at all because I didn't realize that this gets into a lot more uh, things positive and negative than were dreamed of when I started to do this or that most quote-unquote ghost hunters dream of now. I um, 
the reason we warn people against it is because it is very dangerous. You have no idea what you're dealing with. Everything you know about it is wrong for most people. And, and these people have read books by others who don't know anything, and uh, they sort of uh, tell the press that they're experts, or they put out a website or an advertisement that they can come and deal with this, and people buy it. Um, that is, And not only that, can they mess people up and mess up the situation? And I'm thinking particularly of Shane uh, Searway, our, our very good friend who was a, a crack investigator at this, and also a Blackfoot shaman, who uh, feet on the ground, He's had to go in, and he could. We could name some very famous people in this field who've gone in and, and made a pig's breakfast out of a case. And Shane has had to go in and straighten it out. I'd have Shane by our side anytime. Mm. So, uh, essentially, I, I think people should stay away from it because it, you don't understand it. It's extremely dangerous. You can mess yourself up psychologically. Things can sometimes follow you or attach to you. Although you have to know, and you have to know how to, how to prevent that. And it's just not a good idea. It's it's like just because you have watched brain surgery on the Discovery Channel or something doesn't mean you can do it or even should. You know? There's a guy I work with who always makes jokes. It's like, oh, I watch, like we're we're going to go like do something. He's going to make like cuts or whatever, do like carpentry and all that. He's like, oh, I watched a video on it on YouTube. <laughs> there you go. Well, I've done that too. You know, but that's you know for putting together a table or some some kit. You get a million pieces. Yeah, but not doing finished store. carpentry. But yeah. not doing finished <laughs> yeah. car- precisely. So, I mean, you know, so, yeah, if you're interested in it, read up on it. Try and find some good material, which isn't all that easy to do. Uh, I'd avoid some of the shows on TV, most of which are nonsense. Not all, but most. Um, but, sure, be interested, but but don't try and, and do it because it's it's dangerous psychologically, even physically. I mean, I've been injured. And, uh, I mean, I, I was, at this point, I've been doing it for so long. And I feel there is the academic background that whatever it is. But so that's why we do it and tell people not to. If that answers your question, Pete. Any, uh, anything, anything to add to that? Ben? I mean, you pretty well, much. How did you get st- you know, started? As if I didn't know. I mean, you just sort of were like, you want to come along, and I was like, okay. Well, it's, it wasn't that simple. I had a long talk with your mother for for several years about whether you should do it. And you started when you were thirteen. You were sitting through my lectures since you were like eight. I mean, yes. More like six. Okay. I mean, pretty much majority of my life. So I, I knew like the the ins and outs of all the theories and stuff, and watched it evolve over time. Yeah. Which was very interesting. Now that I'm thinking back on it, because you were really big into the time slip thing for a while. Yeah. And like um, things being recorded on the environment, and then as time went along, you were, it, it evolved into something more. Well, I have had my moments. Get it? Moments. Uh, <laughs> uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. And I, I never. Uh, <clears throat> I don't. Th- it's been a long time since you're talking about the residual ghost theory. Yes, yeah, I think I, I came I, in towards the tail end of that. Well, in the very tail end, you were in a twinkle in my eye at the time. You, were, I don't. I vaguely remember. I it. abandoned that theory a long time ago. I was vaguely. one of the early advocates of it, but I abandoned it. A long I time. vaguely remember it, very, very right. vaguely. Or maybe it's ancestral memory, or something. that could be it too. Or Who knows? I, I, I Carl Young. That that wasn't Collective that wasn't good enough. That wasn't good enough. Who Anyhow, knows? so there we are. Who do we have next? Uh, looks like we have Jeffrey from uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and he writes to us, uh, I'm a faithful listener, but I also have heard you, Paul, on many other shows lately, including George Nury's Beyond Belief TV show. It was amazing. My question is this. Uh, when you hear a case from someone else without seeing the phenomena for yourself, how do you know they're telling the truth? That's a very good question and a very difficult situation that it uh, refers to. 
you know, as as you can see, we get emails from all over the, the world, and people are always asking. And it's very difficult to make a judgment. Uh, you really can't sit here and uh, and and uh, <clears throat> without having experienced it, or at least been in the venue, venue or whatever case uh, location, and to make make a, a judgment without a lot of information. And even then, uh, it's somewhat hobbled by the fact that you're not there. Um, it, it's uh, and the uh, another layer to that is we have um, very few people around in other areas whom we trust. Now I'm speaking about ghost phenomena and stuff. Now when it comes to UFOs, that 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 that's can, a different that different can creature. overlap. Yeah. But uh, on the face of it, we know a lot of very good people in the UFO field, and of course, of course with MUFON and, and other and there are one or two other excellent groups. Uh, MUFON, in my opinion, being the most credible. Uh, that's the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, there are people to refer. But when it comes to the worst of it, which are poltergeist and negative phenomena and ghosts. Uh, so-called, it's it's very difficult to uh, to deal with at a distance. Yeah. yeah. Now we're we're planning a trip to Western Pennsylvania uh, for what appears to be another flap area, and that'll be in May. Um, and uh, you know, and, and you'll be a married man by that time, and yes. getting settled. So I don't know if you'll be able to come, but we'll keep you filled in. Uh, and and this try. is uh, we've got a situation that sounds like we uh, we had in uh, have had in Litchfield, Connecticut, with the UFOs, the ghosts, the poltergeists, and even military activity, uh, cryptids, this sort of thing. But we're not going to really know until we get out there. Yeah, you really have to get out there. So it is a di- it is a difficult problem. We do the best we can with it, but that's. Uh, that that's about how it goes. Mm-hmm. So, all right, moving on. Okay, I wanted two other old ones. Actually, one. So this is from Ford in Foxborough, Massachusetts, right now, listening area. All right, yeah, I think I, I remember this. Uh, I don't think we got a chance to even start it. I remember we talked about it for like two seconds, and then we ended the show. Right. So Ford wrote, writes to us. Uh, you point out some great examples of overlapping paranormal phenomena on your show. Why is it that the same creatures and cryptids keep showing up? Move to the next page here. Keep showing up in different cases. Bigfoot, Mothman, and maybe the occasional lake monster. Why not totally unknown cryptids if they are uh, all, as you say, from somewhere and someone else? Uh, why not the Great Pumpkin, as you said? <laughs> That's a very good question. Actually, <clears throat> now let me explain the Great Pumpkin remark at the risk of uh, being like Linus addressing the student body uh, during one of the Peanuts things. Uh, we have said that everything, at least the theory we abide by in quantum mechanics, is that there is uh, there are parallel worlds that are equivalent to every possibility, anything that could possibly happen. Already, uh, every possible outcome, every possible possibility is already existing in concrete reality somewhere or somewhere in the multiverse, and it's all simultaneous. The multiverse being this elegant, um, interactive. Uh, perhaps an infinite group of parallel realities. Okay, and again, this is uh, this is what physics seems to indicate is the kind of existence we live in. That this is as real as it as it gets, according to many physicists, and we see it as the explanation for things that we call paranormal. So, uh, <clears throat> in any case, uh, to answer the question, uh, it is not just Bigfoot and lake monsters and things of this kind that, that come through. 
okay, uh, from other, and we believe these are probably multiversal creatures, you know, that they sort of ease in or are accidentally brought in uh, by various electromagnetic forces from across the membranes that, that constitute the boundaries of these parallel worlds, uh, which is why you can't really find them. You can shoot at them, but they aren't necessarily hit. Uh, we've heard reports on that. Uh, you will find occasional um, hairs, say, that don't always make uh, sense when analyzed, things of this kind. So uh, the way I look at this, these are the most common because, first of all, they are present in our culture. They're present in in, uh, the psyche of our culture. In other words, uh, it's part of our folklore, so people will see it and say, aha, that's what it is, even if it maybe isn't, that is Bigfoot or whatever. And uh, that's what gets reported. We do run into cases where there are totally, uh, and lake monsters too, totally outlandish creatures, uh, some of whom we have met, so to speak, uh, in our paranormal work. I think that uh, the boxy structures with arms dancing by the windows of the, of, of the house in Litchfield, Connecticut, that's the, been the center of that case since 05, um, totally outlandish, you know, shadow creatures, things of this kind, uh, flying creatures with no equivalent to anything we're familiar with in our world. These things do crop up. But I think the reason they are less common, or at least maybe even maybe it's just because they're less reported, but I think they're less common because the world's or the world families from which they impinge upon our world family, a series of worlds that are very similar is because the the laws of physics in those worlds are less compatible with those of ours. It seems that, and this is, this is just my, my theory, that the Bigfoot situation and, and other cryptids that are very common, like the so-called lake monsters and things of this kind, uh, are native to worlds or world families where the physics is very similar to ours, the laws of physics, that is. Uh, what I mean by that is that um, in our world family, people don't fly, okay, because the laws of physics prevent that unless you have an airplane or some kind of whatever you know, device. Uh, and I think that's very similar in the, in the whatever world family uh, the lake monsters or Bigfoot are uh, native to. Now, the, these could be from our own world. we just just really hard to find. I mean, who knows? But uh, the boxy structures I'm thinking of, Ben, that, that uh, the homeowner told us about in the Litchfield case yes. uh, are very... Um, uh, probably from somewhere uh, or some when, when the laws of physics are perhaps quite different. And that's mm. why we don't see them. They don't intersect as much with ours. Does that make sense? No, that does. I mean, it's it's like uh, it's like looking back at folklore as well, uh, yeah. diff- different things that keep popping up in most cultures around the world, mm-hmm. like uh, giants, for example, or perhaps yeah. even um, different kinds of fairies, sprites, woodland creatures. You know, yeah, what I mean? those are our labels for deeper realities, perhaps. Well, uh, yes. Yeah, so other, that's other so. Well, the point views. being is that we've all had these shared these shared things throughout all of our different cultures, and there's there sort of this link between us and the paranormal that has always been there. Sure. And uh, that's really where my point is going. Yeah. With this. No, no. That's, I think that that's quite true. Uh, okay, so th- that's probably, um, I just think it's, they're more common because they, they, they better correspond with the laws of physics in our world, therefore are more visible when they are impinging upon us. That's so, probably hmm. one way to put it. And the ones who are le- from, from worlds that are less compatible with ours from the viewpoint of the laws of physics are not as seen as readily or experienced as readily mm. in the paranormal, but it's all mm-hmm. paranormal, I think. Yeah. From our point of view. 
But yes. then again, entirely natural. So that's how I would answer that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a pretty good answer. It's a pretty good answer. Thank We're you. answering to the that's best part of the That's why I have you on the day. show. You, you agree with me most of the time. Yes. All right. Okay. Uh, this is from... Oh, okay. Oh, this is interesting. This is from Shane, who's usually a guest <laughs> or on the phone, but here's a, actually a, a letter he wrote... Uh, is it is it a question or well, what is it? Well, it's kind of an interesting series of uh, yeah. It's it's an explanation having to do with the Ouija board. See that, see that comes up whenever Rosemary Ellen Guiley is on the show. Oh yes, uh, Ouija boards. Uh, and as I said, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a well known, uh, you know, fa- very very famous expert in the paranormal for many many years, uh, dear friend of ours. Um, she's writing the preface for my next book. I'm writing the preface for the book she's doing with John Zaffis um, soon and. and uh, but we agree that it's uh, maybe we'll agree on the day of the week or that the sun is shining, uh, <laughs> but uh, we don't really agree on much when it comes to the paranormal. But we have tremendous respect. Maybe that that's an example for some of the political situations. Now you have respect for one another, and uh, you respectfully disagree. Anyway, so a fine moral. As it may. Yes. Alrighty. Uh, so Shane writes to us. I just listened to the podcast of the Zozo episode. That, that was with Rosemary Ellen Galley a few weeks ago. Oh, yes. What's interesting about the Zozo thing is people from all around the world have had encounters with Zozo. Uh, uh, well, let's explain who Zozo is or what it is. Or all what right. it's supposed to be. Uh, after you, you're very good at explaining. Well, all right. Well, you use fewer words. Zozo is supposedly this entity that will make itself known through a Ouija board activity, something we... we um, ferociously discourage okay and we did a whole show pretty much on that and rosemary has a new book coming out um on on that theme so that's what zozo is and whether that's it's actually an entity named that um there are people who believe it's actually the devil what you know whatever that may be in in anybody's mind Mm -hmm. because it's people don't follow their people aren't are untheological pretty much so that's what zozo is Right. Okay, so he continues on to say, I have done extensive studies on individuals using the Ouija board. Um, most of uh, what she says is completely accurate. Well, let me clarify that he didn't use the Ouija board to study people. He studied people who used the Ouija board. Yes. Okay, yes, just to yes. make that clear. Yes. Okay, so I, I did not hear her say the biggest reason for people getting in trouble with the Ouija board. Um, uh, most that are going through something or are not grounded are the ones who are the ones that get in trouble. She so she's right on that. The other big reason, the other biggest reason for the people getting in trouble through the use of Ouija boards are people that have become obsessed with the use of the Ouija board. Uh, parasitic entities looking for three things: one, negativity; two, fear; three, and attention or obsession. The Ouija board is a tool, as she said. It works because it's a tool that makes you think and and uh, open your mind to a possible interaction. Uh, that is a uh, perfect scenario for a parasite. They come running. They tell you what you want to hear and play nice until you become obsessed. This is when it will introduce fear to the recipe. The biggest reason people uh, getting into trouble is their mindset, but more so when they become obsessed. The reason the Ouija board uh, works is because it's a tool that focuses your energy and thoughts on the possibility of an interaction. She's a good speaker. I've uh, been listening to your podcasts while at work. The shows are getting better and better. Well, thank you, Shane. Uh, if anyone isn't interested in hearing that show, uh, that, why don't you make sure that's not used again? Uh, it's the February 7th show, number 626, Zozo with Rosemary Ellen Guiley, uh, here on 1240. 
uh, AM, and we um, began, um, well, we'll just tell you, just go to the BehindTheParanormal.com website, and that uh, recorded show is available free. Uh, just look for that. So, again, February 7th, if you want to hear that show. Yes. Okay. Uh, here is an interesting one. This is from Joe, and I do not know where Joe is from. What do you know, Joe? Paul, I am a huge fan, and I have uh, listened to tons of your podcasts and catch you on other shows as often as I can. Uh, I have heard you mention in passing that you have a coin that time slips, uh, disappearing frequently, and would love to know more about that, and where can I read, hear, or watch more about that? Keep up the good work, Joe. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, I would actually ask the same question since the coin has been gone now for about three years. Uh, It is a large silver coin from the Helvetic Federation. Now, that wasn't Helvetia was the the Roman name of Switzerland, okay? And there was a Swiss Federation that was sometimes referred to as the Helvetic Federation, but everything on the coin is written in English, which is really strange. And this coin, uh, it's been in my family for several generations, and it, it come, not several, I should say, since the early, it was since about the 1930s, okay? And uh, my uncle had it, Uncle Eldon had it then, and uh, it, it comes and goes. I mean, it, it will probably, co- it's been gone for this long before, it'll probably come back, it seems to come and go. Uh, like a dope, I, I don't have any pictures of it that I can find, but I will, the first thing I'm going to do is take a picture of it when, when it comes back, but uh, state I know people are interested in that, and uh, when it shows up again, I will definitely uh, put it on Facebook or something, or put it on the show talking points page. How often does it show up? It depends. It could be gone for several years at a time, and then all of a sudden there it is. And you know, I don't know if you've ever seen the the, the metal box on my desk, oh, yeah, desk yeah. with the, the I keep mostly my, my military, uh, some old military insignia stuff from yeah. my the, my. Uh, days of yore in mm-hmm. there and uh, that's usually where it'll come and go oh that's interesting so yeah. i don't know you know um that's about all i can say about it but it does seem to come and go um people will find that sometimes with objects and the question is well why does it come and go well this has to do with what i refer to as consciousness waves uh, but not just me that, that is a, a term in physics and it's it's perhaps the same reason why things can be haunted quote unquote as a matter of fact, that's the, um, the I guess, John Zaffis and, and Rosemary Ellen Guiley are writing a book about that, the stuff that John has. And I haven't seen it yet, cause I'm, I, which I had better, because before I write the foreword, I want to see the book. And uh, so, that, but again, these and this came up when I was on the Travel Channel one time. Why is the uh, suit of armor at the Newport Mansion uh, haunted? You know, in other words, there would be things. Well, because of uh, what I refer to as consciousness waves. Think of it as a vinyl record. That, that's coming back, right? So whether you're old or young, you probably know what a vinyl record is. Yes. Think of a vinyl record with lumps in it. And the vinyl record is, say, the consciousness wave that kind of echoes out across the multiverse, across all these parallel realities where all these things are possible. And the lumps in the record are things that you know or people whom you know things that you uh, care about, that you love, or whatever. And they're all lumps in this, in your consciousness wave. So if somebody, if, if it goes into another consciousness wave, it's in the multiversal theories that we use, it's still in the original consciousness wave, but it's also in somebody else's now, all right? Where it really is anyway, because it depends on the connections, perhaps, again, the laws of physics. So uh, 
it might slip, if conditions are, correct, are right, it might slip back and forth between your consciousness wave and someone else's. So it'd be like if the stylus kept skipping. Effectively. Yeah. Huh, cool. Yeah. So, th- so that's pretty much what, uh, what I think is happening here. So whenever somebody else stops paying attention to it somewhere or someone else or a million other people or whatever, it'll probably turn up back in my consciousness wave in that little box. I, th- I think it might be something quite simple like that. Yeah, cool. Right? So, so that's, that's the idea. Okay. And we do need oh, yeah, we, we're going to take a break. Thank you, Mr. Producer. Okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's lovely Blackstone River Valley. We will be right back. Brady, and I'm inviting you to join YWCA Rhode Island Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for YW She Shines Radio, a program that celebrates the aspirations and accomplishments of women. For more information, visit sheshines.org. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. Okay, and here we are behind the paranormal. We'll talk about our Charities Ben and I have adopted on the show a little bit later during our, our announcement period, but for now, let's continue with uh, many, what, some of our many emails uh, and communications from listeners. Now, this one is from Ben, not this Ben, a different Ben. There, are, there is more than one. <laughs> that can be a disconcerting thought. Yes. Um, and I do not know where Ben is from. Uh, my house. Well, Hello, Mr. Eno. I have been fascinated by your parasite theory since I came across it a couple months ago. It makes so much sense to me. Anyway, it reminded me of something I read, and I thought I'd share it with you and hopefully get your opinion on it. There's a, a website called Arrowind where people uh, can post their experiences uh, yeah, with, with uh, pretty much any psychoactive drug. Uh, I read this person's experience where they were on a hallucinogen, a hallucinogenic uh, psilocybin? Yeah, my, oh, yeah, 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 so basically mushrooms. Um, and uh, I thought you'd find it interesting. Here's the link. Gave the link. Okay. Uh, let me know if you if you think uh, what this person encountered was a parasite. Perhaps uh, if you think that hallucinogenic drugs, especially ones like DMT and ayahuasca, uh, which many people uh, report encountering intelligent entities while on, could allow people to actually see these parasites and or entities uh, from parallel dimensions. Thanks for your time. Okay, now the reason I include that uh, is because, well, because it's a good it's a good question because one of the things we always ask, what is the medical history of a person who's um, experiencing these things? Uh, has there been a, a drug or alcohol problem in the past or at least drug and alcohol use that might lead to hallucinogenic experiences? Okay. Yeah. And th- this begs the question, is a hallucinogenic experience uh, th- that would usually count as paranormal, is it legitimate uh, as, compo- as opposed to someone who's uh, completely sober and then seeing a UFO or, or shaking hands with Bigfoot or something? Yeah. You know, so so th- that's, that, that's a big question. I had a now, very long thought about that. Please. For a while. No, I thought, I thought about that for a really long time. And I, I came to the conclusion because we we talked about uh, many times in in, yeah. our, in our and you ours. have never used drugs. No, so there there have been there have been times where I've had this I've had this thought I've I've explained this to you before that there's we have we build up these barriers around ourselves that we we separate ourselves from what's really going on. We separate ourselves from the real by creating something that isn't real. 
hence we have material things all around us that are that are um well distracting us we have lots of distractions so perhaps there there are more wholesome ways of getting around these distractions and less wholesome ways of getting around these distractions do you see where i'm going with this yeah so perhaps this less wholesome way of getting around distraction is what's busting open these doors and possibly creating well not only mental damage but also damage spiritually you know what i mean like forcing yes. open, forcing open I'm, that I'm just door. trying to get past yeah. the fact that you use the word busted on our show. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I am a professional editor. I know it's not. I, a, I, I know it's help. not a real word. I'm sorry well, for it's using. Becoming a real. I'm word. sorry for using slang. Yeah. At least I'm not saying. I'm sorry. I'm being ridiculous. Go ahead. <laughs> Nitpicking my grammar on. Ministry yeah. <laughs> of silly words. No, no. It's well. The, my point being is that. These could be ways to circumvent these walls that we have created as a culture hmm. that are less wholesome than, say, quiet meditation and contemplation and just in general getting rid of distractions in a healthy way rather than, you know, do, it's more of like, like, a, like a quick fix to, to getting around distractions and having experiences rather than do, doing it the wholesome way. You know what I mean? It's fascinating that you say that because that that was a point made in, in so many words by Mind Louie, uh, a little sort of uh, fellow I met in Australia in 1979 who was an Aboriginal elder. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only did he tell me that we were on the right track when it comes to uh, the multiverse ideas, which I was only just beginning to form at that time, uh, but he said pretty much what you said, that he, had, he was a great critic of the, the modern culture that uh, hides people from the earth and reality creates artificial environments. And we, he said, essentially, that we have a need to be connected, not only with each other, but with the earth and the, the whole biosphere, the whole system. He didn't use those words, but that's what he, he essentially said. And we will, if we are cut off from that, we will forcibly try to break through in any way we can. So that's essentially what you just said. Oh, yeah. Well, there you we know. go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, you, you were... Uh, I, just echoing the, the Minda Louie, whom I thought was one of the most amazing people I've ever met. So uh, there you go. Uh, I'm thinking, too, of our conversation with Graham Hancock, one of the shows, uh, you know, a well-known fellow who's often oh, seen yes. on television, yes. uh, prolific author. He And I was rather surprised to hear him say this, that he himself has uh, deliberately experimented with hi- uh, ayahuasca, which, which was a, a, a concoction that... Many uh, Central American, South American shamans used uh, to gain visions and to have par- essentially paranormal experiences uh, for the, the point of helping others in the shamanic way. Now, I know a lot of other shamans who do not use any sort of, of uh, stimulants or drugs of that kind, uh, particularly uh, in certain areas of Quebec, uh, the Cree I dealt with, and some of the Mohawks. Uh, they don't, at least they told me they don't, and, but others do. Seems like farther, the more tropical it is, it seems like the more likely, and I don't, this is just an impression of mine, I don't know if it's true, uh, the, the more likely they might have to use a stimulant of some kind. But anyway, DMT, um, I cannot, is, is an acronym for something I cannot pronounce right now, but it's, it's included, it's, it's part of ayahuasca. Um, and he, he and, well, you were on the show too, we discussed, how legitimate is it when you have this this stimulation? And yeah. Not. But essentially, I mean, I see his point that it's just as real as anything else. Um, one, uh, in a, a, I suppose an analogy might be dreams. 
when we have dreams, you know, the question is, you know, people say, well, it's just a dream, or how real is it? Well, it might be very real. It might be a, an experience of a parallel life. Because there are dreams that are lucid, dreams that are vivid, dreams where you have complete memories of, of lives lived in that world. Mm -hmm. And uh, that may or may not be an indication that, it, that it's real as opposed to just some passing impression. Well, I guess that might go back to the God helmet, too, going back even, that, even, yes. even farther, that just because it's a set of neurological impulses, does that make it any less real? Yeah. That we're referring to the work of Dr. Michael Persinger, who we have to get back on the show. Yes. One of our early shows, and he uh, was able to stimulate near-death experiences or other such spiritual experiences, temporal lobe experiences, yes. essentially, yes. Uh, artificially in the laboratory. And it was funny, because he taught at the time at the University of Sudbury, Ontario, and, and he said all the students had always come back, oh, can we use the God helmet? Because it was such a pleasant experience. It was, sort of like, it was like a high without the drugs. Mm. You know, so, I, so you got a kick out of the term the God helmet, right? Yeah, I thought that was really so, funny. <laughs> but again, our discussion with him, you know, just because it's artificially stimulated, does that mean it's not real? And our, our, the conclusion pretty much of the three of us was, uh, no, that does not mean it's not real. Mm. You know, and we were surprised to hear him pretty much agree with us on that. So, uh, I guess the jury is still out, if you will forgive the cliche on that. And we'll just keep looking at the issue. So, uh, but the drugs, uh, I mean, we do not recommend that, obviously. We discourage it vehemently. Uh, you don't need drugs. All you need to do is to be quiet and to be aware. And um, you will be aware of the multiverse if you just get out of your own way. Yeah. And the distractions in the walls are what cause, I think, the disconnect. Okay? Am I saying that? No, that's a good way. Uh, you, yeah. you make sense. You're making sense. Yeah. So, and the hardest thing in this society, strangely enough, is to be quiet. How many people are terrified of silence? Yeah. And we have to be surrounded by our noise, our music, or whatever. You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm amazed the people who play music during meditation. I, I, I learned meditation or started to learn it from the Trappist monks of all people in Spencer, Massachusetts, not that far from here, uh, when I was a young seminarian. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I learned to be silent, to clear the mind, to clear the body of, of stress, uh, which is an old-time, normal, human way to do this. It's not necessarily religious. It's a very human thing to do. But the, And then we went the same thing when we went to the Zen monastery in Cumberland. Believe it or not, Cumberland, Rhode Island has a wonderful uh, Zen monastery and Zen center where people can go uh, and learn about meditation, things of this kind. So that's all good. But I'm sometimes at least horrified, not horrified, but surprised that people can... Uh, attempt to achieve the same thing with any kind of noise, even if it's a pleasant one. That, that's me. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's... What do you th no, I agree with that. I think it's just, just how how um, how today is. Like, uh, like, like uh, many, many of my, my recent acquaintances uh, from my place of employment have... Uh, uh, one, of, one of them was telling me, he's like, I can't be left alone with my thoughts. He's like, I have to have something to distract Precisely. me at all times. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more... I don't know. That's just a symptom of of how society is today. Like you think you you think, and therefore the more you think, it's just it's just not good. It's just not good at all. So, so, much so you drown it. So you drown it out with different experiences. Yeah. Well, that's precisely what the Buddhists will say. You know, the, 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 these things that we surround ourselves with distractions, so that we will help dull the pain. Mm. You know, of separation from that's ourselves. True. Never mind everybody else. Or as the Taoists would say, more like separation from the world. Right, yeah. Yes. Well, well as, as Buddha, as Gautama would have said, the uh, the passions yes. are what cause the pain. Mm, indeed. Right. Okay, well, let's move on to another another one here. This is from uh, 
Tiffany, and Tiffany does not say where she is from. Tiffany from somewhere writes to us, uh, I have been searching online for someone that might be able to help me. When I was about 12 years old, I was playing with a Ouija board uh, uh, with my mom. Uh, we asked it so many questions, and it spelled out many uh, are my great-great-grandfather's name. Uh, it also spelled out an ex-boyfriend of my mom uh, that still likes her. Uh, well, uh, well, anyone we asked uh, who uh, would die first between her and I, it said I would die first. It's been twenty, it's been uh, twenty-two years, and lately I, it has been on my mind. I've never thought about it until lately. And now I'm scared that my time is near, and I am so afraid. Any advice? My mom is not in the best of health, and lately I haven't uh, been hopeful about the future. I live every day uh, like it's my last. Oh, boy. Well, Tiffany, first of all, uh, do not believe anything you hear, you know, from a Ouija board, okay? Uh, it is, uh, in our in our view, it is a, a sledgehammer attempt to break through world boundaries, and whatever comes through is most likely not good. Uh, we often compare it with, and, and the, the, again, this this is what we've, we've talked about with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. It's like... And I always use this this metaphor. It's like you want to meet your neighbor, but instead of going out and you know working in your garden and saying hello when the person comes out into their yard or gets out of their car, you take a bulldozer or a backhoe and you go and knock down their living room wall. And most likely, uh, you're not going to make a friend that way, and you don't know really who is in the house, and this sort of thing. So that, that's maybe a poor uh, metaphor, but I think it it it, it holds. Um, the Ouija board is not something you should use, and uh, I know that Rosemary said that you know it, it, it's just an object. It's what you bring to it. Now, yeah, I suppose that sure that's true. The Ouija board is not you know evil in itself. It's just a piece of whatever uh, game board or whatever. But uh, it, it is uh, what you bring to it, and it's best not to bring anything to it, in, in our opinion. So uh, I think uh, Tiffany, you should not pay any attention to this. I know it's difficult to do. Let me give you an example why I say that. One of, uh, getting back to my conversation with Minda Louie, the uh, Aboriginal elder outside Melbourne in 1979, he said, well, you know, curses only work when you believe in them. And um, all of his people, he said, or most of them anyway, believed in them, and that's why they had a reputation for being able to make that work, uh, pointing the bone and other such things, which, which I think is the reason why it's impolite to point at people. Oh, really? Because our remote ancestors... Uh, you point that you're like the aboriginals would say pointing the bone you're putting a curse don't put a curse on and, me you know, these little customs like handshaking hugging these all come down from our remote past that's true which has nothing to do with ouija boards but that's just an aside so i think that uh, you need not to pay attention to this if you don't believe in it it won't work now i know somebody might say well i i happen to um have used a Ouija board myself when I was in like sixth grade back in the 1960s, and we asked when we would die, and my friend, it said 1983 or 1986, I think it was 86, and he did die in 1986 in a diving accident in Narragansett Bay. Uh, it gave me a considerable number of years after that. However, I, I don't even, I'm not concerned with that. It's ludicrous. Uh, our fate is up to us. You know, uh, the, 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 the positive spirit we have, the love we have, it's really true. We make our own beds in the multiverse. And if you go around thinking, you know, oh, I'm going to die this year, nonsense, absolute nonsense. And you should be prepared uh, at any point for anything. And as I always say, whatever happens, I want to be found doing what I'm supposed to be doing, loving my family, loving God, taking, fulfilling my responsibilities day to day. 
that's the best thing you can be found doing in any case. So there we so that really that's pretty much all I would um, uh, say in response to that, uh, Tiffany. Uh, let me say a word about uh, no, I don't think actually I don't think I will. I don't think we should give away that we've got a new case and that we're going to be uh, doing that. So then here let's is, not do it. Yeah, um, we'll we'll report on it when it happens. Okay, this is uh, this is from Cindy. And I don't know where Cindy is from either, and it has to do with the multiverse theory. All right, so Cindy from somewhere writes to us, uh, I'm not writing to criticize any quantum theories uh, you follow, but whatever happened to our universe as understood by ancients? Uh, everyone agrees that they knew things uh, we will never understand, certainly knew enough uh, to slaughter each other wholesale the uh, way we do today, or ruin the earth we live on. Uh, at the same time, while we sneer and believe they regarded life as cheap, uh, is it because they, uh, there aren't as many martyrs today as uh, there seem to have been, uh, percentage-wise, as uh, they were in the days of old? Those people, uh, ignorant of our uh, diminished technology that only hurt people and nature, knew only a universe. Mother Earth uh, was not separate from anything uh, they could uh, sense or dream about. Today, you have people who will go into meditation, in other words, who seek something uh, inwardly, trying uh, trying this to reach out to other beings in our universe. Uh, from what uh, we can see by our media, uh, these are the only types of uh, messages where people uh, can claim to have had a response. Uh, there are many, many strange things that happen uh, when people do this. Uh, some uh, say caused by the person who meditated. Uh, but isn't that better than waiting for a reply to a radio message sent out to outer space? All I'm trying to say is uh, maybe it's time we stop thinking, or at least try to anyway, that something was not planted or born or raised in the area of our universe. Uh, where we, uh, who are looking upwards, uh, were born and raised, is alien to our world. Okay, uh, <clears throat> that's uh, rather um, complex. Yes. But let's start with... The points. All right. I think that what um, can I see that, please? Sure. All right. One of the things that we I think we have to understand is uh, is how our ancestors actually saw the world. Now, of course, that that that's a complex answer too, because not our ancestors are all the same. However, I think that that in a way they might have been. What we've found. And particularly in, in conversations, I learned a lot in that conversation in 79 with that Aboriginal elder, mm-hmm. because these are people whose, whose culture and, and legends and, and everything and uh, faith and whatever go back 30,000 years without a break, probably more than that. And there are people uh, whom I also, and, and this, this, I talk about this in the, my book, Turning Home, uh, people from the Andaman, uh, Andaman and Nicobar Islands in the Indian Ocean whose culture goes back reliably uh, up to a hundred thousand years or more. Their DNA does anyway. Same thing with the, the San and Khoisan Bushmen of Africa. These were our remote ancestors, okay? Because there's a lot of evidence that all of us descend from uh, life that human life that arose in Africa, <clears throat> okay? Because uh, Africans have the most diverse DNA, which means they're the oldest people. So uh, I think what what we may be dealing with here is that. Um, we are perhaps, in some of our beliefs, returning to what has been believed by our remote ancestors. Now, what happened with this? And again, I deal with that in the book, Turning Home. But I think that we were hunter-gatherers, okay? 
who did not really, who had pretty much real connections with the earth and uh, belief systems that seemed to be more or less simple and more positive in, in some cases anyway, uh, than they were when we s- tried to stop being hunter gatherers and established even farms and civilizations, not so much farms, but civilizations, uh, which arose at least, as, probably arose a hundred times in the last million years or more, uh, but, uh, to our limited knowledge, arose about 8,000 years ago in the Fertile Crescent of the Middle East. <clears throat> so, I think that when we started to build cities and civilizations and become doctors and lawyers and teachers and uh, complicate our lives beyond measure and grow into an enormous population that really is not quite natural, that's another issue, that we didn't cease to be hunter-gatherers. So our desire, our need, as we said earlier, to connect with each other and with the earth and with ourselves uh, in ways we don't know how to do anymore mostly uh, has been hindered by a lifestyle that is not a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Now, I'm not advocating we go back to that. It wouldn't be possible. You know, hundreds of millions would die of starvation uh, unless it, just, it can't be done. So we make the best of it by uh, trying to establish positive spiritualities and many, many of the things we've discussed uh, here today. So uh, I think that's essentially part of the problem. And as Ben uh, so eloquently uh, stated earlier, uh, we have these walls and barriers around us because of this, and we would seem like we'll do anything to break through, even in negative ways, such as uh, some of the drugs and things of this kind. Mm. So uh, now, uh, Cindy also makes reference to uh, people in days of old being uh, ignorant of of certain technologies. Uh, One of the things that that she also mentions is um, wholesale war and things of this kind that uh, we have uh, seemed to be a a curse, certainly, upon the human race. Well, there is no indication that our remote ancestors were immune to war, that they lived in some kind of utopian society, okay, or, or... that the hunter-gatherer uh, civilizations are entirely peaceful. I mean, uh, there's a reason why the, they're all dead. <laughs> well, yeah, well, there's that, and also because you know there would be disputes over. There's every indication there would be disputes over water. There are cave paintings of people fighting uh, water and other resources. Uh, you can imagine that, particularly during the Ice Age, when yes. the, the glacial ice shield descended into Europe and places like this and uh, food diminished and they had to, to adapt and learn new ways and move south and there, there was going to be friction at times like this. But the question really before that is uh, is that we are commonly depicted as the only species that preys upon itself, at least among mammals, okay? And uh, that is bothersome and one wonders uh, how we essentially became the way we are. We often cite the idea that you've got uh, the human genome, which was mapped, uh, I believe it was 2003, or 2005, one or the other, and we found that there were 223 genes that shouldn't be where they are, if our understanding of the progression and the development of life on Earth is as we understand it. No one knows really where those came from. There's some speculation, but to me it's pretty, pretty out there. So the implication could be that someone messed with our genes at some point and made some kind of step from, I know, the Australopithecines or or some human ancestor to 
the Cro-Magnon or Neanderthal or whatever sorts of humans that uh, were ancestors today, and then finally to the uh, rather arrogant title we've given ourselves, the Homo sapiens sapiens, man, that who knows that he knows, you know, and I don't think we know much of anything, but there we are. But there was a certain self-awareness uh, that is that was, was present after that occurred, and the question arises, well, um, what happened to us? And maybe part of that was that whoever did this, or if that's how it happened as far as messing with our genes, uh, turned us into uh, more hostile, uh, more uh, belligerent sorts of, of beings, uh, such as we don't see anywhere else on Earth. Or maybe we're not native to this Earth, but we've run out of time. And that's just about uh, pretty much the end of what we can say about that. Yes. And uh, we will consider it further and perhaps deal with some of Cindy's other points in, in, the, in a later show. Yes. Okay. Well, There's that only was, so much time in an hour. That's right. So anyway, uh, I wanted to mention that um, we are, uh, as it, I should, should, should say, New River Press, my original publisher, is going to bring out a new edition of my 1998 book, Faces, in the, Faces at the Window, with two additional cases and some expanded uh, background material, and we will keep you informed on that. Alrighty, on April 8th and 9th, we will once again speak at the New England Parafest at the Ashworth-by-the-Sea in Hampton Beach, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, we are the final speakers of the event, and the subject uh, that we are speaking about is the truth behind the paranormal, and we'll be talking a great deal about parasites. Uh, then on July 23rd and 24th, that, that'll be here before you know it, uh, we will be at the Connecticut Paranormal Convention in Windsor Locks. We will present on Saturday, and on Sunday, we will host the weekly edition of this show with a panel of all the speakers before a live audience. That'll be the first time we've done... A, an off-site broadcast on this station. Anyway, we've done it on CBS, but not here. Uh, this event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. And in the fall, we'll be speaking in Philadelphia at the UFO conventions um, in uh, Massachusetts and New Hampshire as well. And meanwhile, find out more about the show and our public appearances and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. Also at our website, you can find over 650 free recorded shows from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And just to clarify those fall events, uh, that of, in Philadelphia, that's uh, sponsored by uh, the Philadelphia area MUFON, a mutual UFO network, very credible organization. That'll be in October. We'll let you know the dates on that. Uh, and also the, uh, the UFO conventions we refer to are the um, uh, Exeter UFO Festival, fantastic event that's held generally in September uh, in Exeter, New Hampshire. Wonderful, wonderful people. It, it raises money for, for local charities. We'll tell you more about that. I hope you'll plan to attend. And then, of course, the uh, New England UFO Conference, Greater New England UFO Conference in Lemonster, Mass., the following month, which will be in October, which is uh, always a, a great event as well. Uh, our good friend uh, Susan Spooler and Willie Miranda uh, organizing that again this year. So uh, you can find my books uh, on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, and all the rest of those uh, usual suspects. And we'll let you know about the uh, new edition of Faces at the Window as soon as we uh, know ourselves when and where it will be available. Uh, if you buy these books, however, directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, our website, I'll be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those recorded shows free on our website, over 650 hours of them. Also on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares, a Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great work out there, and um, HelpForHaiti.com as well. 
And, uh, okay, let's, uh, I wanted to mention two uh, books. Uh, we've mentioned this every week, but it's of great interest to our listeners. The Bell Witch Project uh, from the Global Communications, which is Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company in New York City. Uh, that contains that story uh, and a few contributions by me on historic paranormal cases here in New England, including the 17th century specter leaguers of Massachusetts. Pretty cool stuff. And also, don't forget about the spooky treasure troves that you are also a part of. Yes, yes, I know. I write a, write a few paragraphs and I get my name on the cover, but that, that's interesting, too. That's all at Amazon.com. All right, so next Sunday, March 7th, we'll bring an update on high strangeness, including uh, sp- mysterious noises being heard from the sky, and the renowned uh, science journalist Linda Moulton Howe as well with us. Okay, yeah, we're not gonna, all right. We'll leave you this afternoon with a thought uh, from the great American author Ralph Waldo Emerson. What lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared with what lies within us. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.